The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And if you'll turn with me one more time in this three-part series of the stewardship of the Lord's Church to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Thank you. Matthew 28 and verse 16. There's also one other passage we'll look at. I want to add my voice to uh, Bruce's and giving thanks to the Lord for those who have served as veterans and those who have given themselves uh, in the service and protection of this country. We are grateful for that, including the great privilege of the free, free practice of religion. Say, speaking of that, would you look with me in Matthew 28 and verse 16? Now, Jesus is resurrected, but not yet ascended. This is one of his 15 appearances that is recorded in God's word. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain. Interesting, the mountain. See the definite article, not a mountain, the mountain. My guess is that's probably the mountain where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount or the mountain of transfiguration or that mountain may have been both of those. And both of those events might have taken place on the same mountain. We're not sure, but there's something that had become the mountain there in Galilee outside of Capernaum. Jesus directed them there. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Well, what do you do with doubts? You assuage them. Jesus does through the ministry of the word. And that's what happens next. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. And may I ask you to keep your Bible open there, please. Please keep it open. As I was anticipating this third and final sermon, the stewardship of being found faithful in mission, uh, on mission, on message, and now in ministry, there was a couple of events from my childhood that came to my mind. Can I share one of them at the beginning and one at the end? Here's the one at the beginning. When I was, uh, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, I was born and I didn't have any siblings for uh, five years, uh, and then, uh, well, actually four and a half years, and then, um, and then my sister was born. But I was an only child for four years, 
And um, and so I got used to my father and mother's pattern. Now, um, our ancestral home is Augusta, Georgia, and then we had many friends in Charleston, South Carolina, and then also in other places. So my family would take a family trip. Now, my dad and mom worked, obviously. They were just kind of blue-collar, white-collar folks. Dad was in baseball, but we... Uh, uh, so we didn't weren't able to go take a day off to travel. So we always went at night. We would travel at night. But even if we could have gotten a day off, daddy and mother would have gone at night. I learned to do the same thing. And there was one reason. That means it won't be long till the kid goes to sleep. And we will be able to do the trip without 3,600 questions such as, are we there yet? And uh, so uh, we would go at night. And that's the way we would travel, is to go at night. Yeah. And so uh, we'd do that. Therefore, I had the experience that some of you here will never have. And that was the wonderful experience. Uh, just your SUVs are poverty-stricken because they do not provide this. And that is taking the trip in the back seat, up on the top of the seat, with the window over you, and you can feel the cold glass and look at the stars as you travel down the highway. That's what I got to do for five years, and then my sister was born. And she got the upper bunk. And my dad and mom said, now you're moving to the floorboard. That's where I went, was to the floorboard. Now, my mother was so gracious because she would pack two suitcases and put them on either side of the hump and say, see, it's going to be perfectly level. Yeah, that's really level. And uh, so um, I would then sleep on the floorboard with the two suitcases supposedly filling in the, the hump. And then, uh, and then my sister would get to sleep up there and feel the cold glass and look at the stars. She got the penthouse. I got the outhouse. That was the way it worked. Then, uh, But then I got 11, uh, 12 years later, I got two more sisters. And now those sisters, they got the chance to take the seats. And somehow in the two seats, they slept. So the four of us would sleep in the back. Now, the only problem with the trip and all of that planning and the notion they're going to go to sleep and they'll quit arguing and, you know, get on, get on my side. You get on your side. You know all this stuff. And so uh, what, what they figured was this can be solved. And my mother said, um, uh, first of all, high tech. My mama had a high tech gift. It's called a, like a sketchogram or something where you, you know, you get pencil lit or something's flowing somewhere and you make a picture or something. That was our version of high tech back then. That was our that was our um, video game, I guess. And then um, but then my mother's favorite was connect the dot. And so she would give us the magazine and we would connect the dots to understand what was happening. So what I want to do now is connect the dots, because some of you with your um, IQ soaring way beyond mine, you're sitting there thinking, you know, Pastor, uh, we have an every member commitment season every year, and we always use the rubric to think through. In fact, I got my card right here, time, talents, and treasure. And we do this so that the deacons can anticipate our giving and our commitments and the elders and with the policies of the church, we are able then to move forward. So how come you've gone through three weeks and you haven't preached on time or talents or treasure and in other words personal stewardship what have i preached on i have actually preached on corporate or church stewardship the church being a good steward of our god-given mission the church being a good steward 
of our God-given message. The church being found faithful as stewards of our God-given ministries. Now, why is that? Here's why. They're inseparable. They're interdependent. We can't be found faithful on mission, on message, and in ministry if you are not found faithful. With the use of your God-given time and talents and treasure. It doesn't just happen. But I also want you to know as you pray through your personal stewardship and you bring it as an offering of praise to God who gave his son to save us and offered himself as our redeemer. You've got to know what it's used for. What do we do with those sacred stewardship gifts of time and talents and treasure? What is it that we do as a church? What do our elders pray over, think through? What does the staff give itself to and the deacons in their service focus upon? What is it and how is it done and why is it done? The two are indispensable. They're inseparable. Yes, you spend time on time. You spend time looking at the stewardship of time. And that we've done that before. How Stewardship. God has given you every one of us every day when we get up. We don't all have the same amount of money in the bank account, but we all got 24 hours that day. Now, what are we going to do with it? Bible says redeem the time. How do you redeem the time? Well, the first thing out of the shoot is the Lord's day. The key to the other six days is the Lord's day. That's perfectly clear in the Bible. The Jesus. Here's what the prophet says. The prophet says this. If you call my day a delight and turn your foot from what you do to what I call you to do, then I will cause you to ride upon the heights. You were not made to go all out seven days a week and give an hour to Jesus on Sunday. You are called to remember the day of the Lord, the Sabbath day, to set it aside for personal rest, personal renewal, spiritual refreshment and worship. And in that, the thermostat and the template for the other six days are set. That's why Jesus said, I did not make man for the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for the man. It's God's gift. That orchestrates, that sets the template and the thermostat of how we use our time. And then we're, then with that kind of framework, we're able to learn the blessings of biblical priorities. What comes first? What comes second according to God's word? What comes first and how does it lead to second? And how does that lead to third? And why are those things important? And how I learn to use my time to nurture my marriage because I know my parenting is not going to be effective unless my marriage is where it ought to be. Do we learn those priorities? How do I prepare myself to serve the Lord? And that's what makes me an employee who does this work heartily as unto the Lord. So we learn to set the priorities of life and establish the margins of life. And if you don't, let me assure you, there's a world that will take all of your time away from you. Or you will redeem the time under the Lordship of Christ as a faithful steward. And it begins with the Lord's day. Doesn't end there, but it begins there. And what about talents? you got physical talents and spiritual talents. And yes, we want to be good stewards of those. 
You know, one of my favorite examples of this was the pastorate I had in Charlotte, North Carolina. We had a singles group, and there were just some wonderful singles, just like this singles group here, the graduates in career. And, um, and, but we had a group of young men, there's about four of them, and they were very gifted with their hands. They were able to work with their hands in a really an extra, and they loved cars. They loved to tinker uh, with cars. And then over here was about three or four young men who had insight and the gift of mercy. And the two got together in a Bible study and they came up with an idea of ministry. And here's what they decided to do. Every sixth Saturday, we will get together and we will have a Saturday in which those of us who like to work on the cars will be there. And those who have this gift of mercy will welcome and will bring in the widows and the single women. And it will be car care Saturday. And that's what they'll do. So the women would show up, a rose would be on their seat, uh, something given to them to read, and somebody go to work on their car, check the air, check the pressure, do the, uh, maybe even, I think we even went so far as an oil change after they signed a non-liability agreement at that point. But those were the things that were done. Did you see how the physical talents and the spiritual gifts came together? Well, that's what happens when you're a steward of talents. And then comes the whole dynamic of treasures or the finance. So not only we're stewarding our our responsibilities, our relationships, but also our resources. And that is such a great joy. I am so grateful that God has worked in my life to see that glorious truth, how it's more blessed to give than to receive. Of course, first of all, he had to work in my life and tell me, you know, Harry, the tithe is not giving. If you keep the tithe, you robbed me. Now, you don't rob people if you don't give them a gift. You rob people if you keep what belongs to them. I mean, ever just listen carefully the way Bruce says it each Lord's Day. Let's worship the Lord. Steward worship with his tithe and our offerings. Let's come and bring praise to the Lord with his tithe and our offerings. And so we bring to God his tithe and worship. And then we bring offerings like a a faith promise offering uh, beyond the tithe for world missions. It goes 100 percent to that. And then and then we have a um, and then we have a uh, well, like the Lord, communion after communion, alms offering that goes 100 percent to mercy ministry. And all of that begins to work together. But now here's what I want to connect the dot. I want you to see the nexus, the interdependency and the indispensability of this. All of that personal stewardship, as it comes in praise to God, brought into the church of Jesus Christ, which he purchased with his own blood, is then used for what that Jesus said the church is to do and say. The mission and message and ministries of the church. And in other words, why is it that our elders set a policy back in 1960 with our founding pastor? Why is it that we set a policy that 50 percent of the financial gifts will leave here? Why is it we pray about sending out those who are gifted to go and plant churches or do missions or so? Why is that? Because we've got a mission. And when people give themselves and their time and their talents and their treasure, it's all directed to the mission, the message, and the ministries. It is inseparable. It is 
interdependent. We can't do, we cannot do the mission with the message if the people of God do not do their time and talents and treasure. And the people of God, as they give their time and talents and treasure, do so unto Christ with the anticipation of what he will do with it through the body of Christ, his church. So here is our mission, here is our message, and here is our ministry. You know, in 1980, as I was uh, finishing up seminary, anticipating where was I going to serve, I was really struggling. Uh, and, um, and I remember what sealed it for me. I checked on, the, I was not born into the Presbyterian Church in America. I was born in, um, and went to independent uh, Presbyterian and Bible Presbyterian Church and to, into the Christian Missionary Alliance. Grateful for them. But with my theology and convictions about church government, I knew I wasn't going to be able to land there. So where am I going? And so as I investigated the PCA, I'll never forget what sealed the deal. What sealed the deal for me was when I looked at the masthead of the pamphlet that was sent to me. True to the scriptures. Faithful to the reformed faith. Fulfill the Great Commission. That's it. There's depth, there's breadth, and there's height. True to the Scriptures. That's all I labor for in my denomination now. All I ask, true to the Scriptures. The Word of God alone is our only rule of faith and practice. Faithful to the Reformed faith, the reclamation from the corruption in the church of doctrine and leadership True to the Reformed faith as it is delivered to us through the Reformation to get us back to first century biblical Christianity, apostolic vision and ministry. And fulfill the Great Commission. Right there is our mission. Right there is our message. Right there are our ministries. Let me ask you to go back to that text with me just for a moment. I want you to look at the four ministries that we have, that, that, it, that we are to do if we are to stay on mission and on message. Now look at it very carefully. It says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Now that's a participle in the original. Can I pull a preacher deal here for you? That's a participle. In other words, can I tell you how you could translate this? And rightly so. And in fact, I think is the best translation. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. As you are going, make disciples. Now, what is our mission? The imperative is make disciples. What is our message? It is the whole counsel of God. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The whole counsel of God saturated in the contours and the connecting tissues of the gospel. You never go beyond the gospel. But with the whole counsel of God, you can go higher, further, deeper, and, and, um, and, and gloriously wider with the gospel. Don't go beyond it, but you go further with it. What does the gospel mean in my marriage? What does the gospel mean in my family? What does the gospel mean in parenting? What does it mean in employee, being an employer? What does it mean? It goes 
and equips me in all of the areas of life. That's my mission. That's our mission. Make disciples. That's our message. Is the whole counsel of God saturated, connected, and contoured with the gospel of saving grace? I delivered to you that of first importance, the gospel. Now, what are our ministries? The very first one. And he doesn't give it as a command. He assumes you're doing it as a believer. As you are going. Evangelism. The ministry of outreach. Personal evangelism. Now, please listen to me. No church can do its mission without evangelism of the message. You can't. We can't do it. And you can't do evangelism by programs. It's personal. If you and I do not share Christ with the lost, we don't do evangelism. It's not a program. We can have ministry initiatives to equip us. How to do evangelism. We can have events just like this event this Monday that Eric keeps asking all of the men to please bring someone whom you are seeking or someone who is seeking to hear the testimony that's going to be done in this men's event. But you know what? If you and I aren't sharing the gospel, we don't have anybody to bring to that. It's not events that evangelize. They provide the occasion. It is not a program that evangelizes. It can provide training. It is people. Who go and share with others the good news. Jesus saves sinners. The whole message of God connected and contoured by the gospel of saving grace in Christ. Second ministry is not only the ministry of outreach in evangelism, but the second ministry is one of inreach. Because notice what happens. What happens when you make disciples and you go and you win people to Christ and God by his spirit blesses you and others? Now, by the way, can I say something? Evangelism is not an event. It is a process. And I have never yet prayed with someone who gave their life to Jesus. Somebody else hadn't planted the seed before me. Conversion is a glorious moment. Evangelism is continual. You're planting, you're watering, you're cultivating. But when someone gives their life to Jesus, what do you do? They are enfolded into the body of Christ. You'll see throughout the book of Acts that they were baptized and added to the body of Christ. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the... This is the sign and seal of the covenant whereby the initiation of God's people formally takes place as they're brought into the body of Christ where we can love on one another, love one another, love with one another, and the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is our ministry of enfolding. One of my favorite moments when I prayed with someone who gave their life to Jesus is, is to share with them John six forty seven. And this is what I say to them. I say to them, maybe some of you here I've talked with when you gave your life to Christ and I had the privilege to be with you. Here's what I always do. I always tell you, go tell three people you gave your life to Jesus. And then I want you to read the Gospel of John and get back to me. But here, before you leave, I want to give you one verse from John, John six forty seven. Here's what it says. Truly, truly, 
He who believes in me has eternal life. In Christ, this is now yours. And Jesus put two amens at the front of it. Amen, amen, I say to you. He who believes in me has eternal life. And then I say to them this. Did you know you have a new record? Your sins are gone. Your guilt and shame is gone. And the righteousness of Christ is yours. Do you know that you have a new heart? You've been born again. You're a new creation in Christ. Do you know that by God's grace you're going to get a new mind? The mind of Christ. Do you know that you have a new life? The old has passed away. The new has come. Do you know that you have a new home? You're headed to a new heavens and a new earth. And a place that he is preparing for you. And do you know. No, you've got a new family for you and your family. It is the family of God, the forever family of God. You are brought in and we are called to love one another. We not only have the ministry of outreach and evangelism and the ministry of inreach and enfolding, but thirdly, we've got the ministry of equipping as we are teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. We take the whole counsel of God with the connecting tissues and the leading edge of the gospel of saving grace in Christ and begin to teach people all that they, that God has for them. Here's what, here's who you are in Christ. Here's what you do for Christ. Here's a Christian husband. Here's a Christian wife. Here's a Christian single. Here's a Christian employer. Here's a Christian employee. Here's the Christian in the public square and politics. Here is Christian statesmanship. Here is Christian uh, Here is Christian encouragement. Here is Christian counseling of one another. Here is the way you live and we're going to equip you so that whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do from now on you can do to the glory of God. This is what we do. So we do this ministry of equipping. Now, again, I have no great insights here. I just pastor a church, and this church believes if Jesus did it, let's do it the way Jesus did. Did Jesus make disciples? Did Jesus evangelize? Did Jesus enfold? Did Jesus equip? Yeah. Did he teach them for three years? Yes, he did. And when he taught them for three years, how did he disciple? Well, he would stand and preach in large groups. Then he would go with the 70. Then he would go with the 12. And then he would go with the three. He had preaching and teaching in the large group in worship. And then he had teaching and mentoring and discipling in the small groups of 70 and 12 and 3. And if needed for a season or a reason, it could be a life on a life one on one. But that's the way he did the equipping that was being done. Thus, we have Lord's Day gathering and discipling and equipping through expository preaching of the whole counsel of God. And then we have congregational communities, our 70s. And then out of those, small groups of 12 and 3. And then available one-on-one whenever necessary for a season and a reason. Now, we don't do this perfectly, but I'm just trying to tell you. This is how we steward our ministries. This is how we try to be found faithful, not only in the mission and the message, but the ministries, the ministries of evangelism, the ministries of enfolding and the ministry of equipping. And fourthly, 
And that's the ministry of exaltation. Jesus discipled these men for three years. So when they saw him, even through their doubts, what did they do? They worshipped. Exaltation. That we know how to we know how to gather for worship and we know how when we scatter, we worship. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So here is the thermostat and the template of worship as God's people gather and do not forsake the assembling of themselves together. And they worship in spirit and in truth. And then that lays the template and the thermostat for lifestyle worship in every arena of life. Even eating and drinking is done to the glory of God. You see the outcome of this? Here is someone who is a sinner under the dominion of sin and falling short of the glory of God. They're evangelized, they're enfolded, they're equipped, and now their greatest delight is the glory of God. Thou, they want Him to be praised. There are our ministries. Now do you see why your personal stewardship is indispensable and inseparable? From the stewardship of Christ's church. To do this mission. To do this message. To do these ministries. That carry the message. To accomplish the mission. The people of God. Have to embrace it. They don't just drive by. And drop in. A Sunday that's convenient. They become. Stewards. And found faithful with their God-given time and talents and treasures. And then what is the leadership absolutely committed to do? Is to take all of that stewardship and bring it with faithful stewardship to fulfill our mission and our message and our ministry. Now let me ask you a question. Isn't it be wonderful if we could see a case study of this? I knew you'd say yes. Would you turn with me to a case study? And that's how we'll close today. Would you look with me in Acts chapter 2? What is the first New Testament church? Where was the first New Testament church? Anybody know? Come on, we can talk out loud. You ready? Jerusalem. Very good. Praise the Lord. That was an unmasked statement. I could tell it without looking. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The church at Jerusalem was conceived in a prayer meeting, Acts 1. It was birthed in a sermon that Peter preached in Acts 2. Well, Peter can't land the, Peter can't finish the sermon. And so they break in. And when they break in on top of him, and they break in right in the, in the midst of his sermon. Look at verse 37. Here's what it says. Now when they heard this, that's Peter's sermon, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they said this to him. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. To everyone whom the Lord our God shall call to himself. And then, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now stop. What did the apostles do at Jerusalem? They evangelized. Be saved. They enfolded. They were baptized and added to the church. They were being equipped with the word of God. What shall we do? And they began to praise God from whom all blessings flow. And now watch how they carried it out. Look at the next verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There they're being equipped. To the fellowship. To the breaking of the bread. So not only the sacrament of baptism, but also of the Lord's Supper. The covenant meal for fellowship together. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's the Great Commission. It's going to Jerusalem. It'll later go to Judea and Samaria and the other most part of the world. But when it gets to Jerusalem, how does it get to Jerusalem? They took the whole counsel of God led by the gospel and went out to make disciples. That's what they did. How? Through evangelism, enfolding, equipping, and worship, exaltation. And how? what did they do with those who committed their life to Christ? They kept on equipping them, teaching them all that He had commanded. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not only were they... not only, and, But they continued evangelism. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They're evangelizing every day. They are in folding. People are being baptized. The believer in the household, 3,000. That's probably just counting the men. And they're added into the church. There it goes. 11, 120 in Acts 1. Now 3,000 plus. uh, 3,000 households. And the church begins to expand. But what do they keep doing? Evangelism. Enfolding. Equipping. And praising God. House to house and praising God at the temple. Giving praise to God. Exaltation and worship. That's what they did. And look at the personal stewardship. They couldn't have done it without the people devoting their time and their talents. They were even giving way beyond the tithe. They were selling their possessions to give to those and meet the needs. One together enfolded. Do you see the nexus of personal stewardship and the stewardship of this church? And then it will overflow. It'll just take hold of Jerusalem. I mean, it's, it's so powerful. They're going to start killing them in about 14 years. And then it'll go on to Judea and Samaria, Acts 9 through 12. 
Then it'll go to the world, Acts 13 through 28. And then comes one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Acts 17, 6. An unconverted pagan in Europe says this 25 years after the ascension of Jesus. These people who have turned the world and the nations upside down have come here also. Now, please listen to me. The apostles' mission was not to turn the world upside down. That was the consequence. The apostles' mission was to turn sinners right side up. And when sinners get turned right side up, their marriages and families and lives and businesses and their witness, when they get discipled, they become the salt of the earth. They become lights to the world. They now know how to love mercy do justice and walk humbly with God. As the church stays focused on its mission, its comprehensive message, and makes disciples, it turns out Christians with a comprehensive mission of whether they eat or drink or whatsoever they do, they do to the glory of God. That's what happens. But for us to turn out world-shaking Christians... They've got to get right side up. That means the church has got to stay on mission, make disciples, on message. The whole counsel of God saturated with the gospel and in ministry of, of evangelism, enfolding, uh, equipping, and exaltation. And we individually in our stewardship, and as a church, need to be found faithful. Sinners right side up gloriously turns the world upside down for Christ. Well, I praise God because I'm in a nation that desperately needs to be shook. I don't know whether we are at the nadir of being given over to the desires of our heart. Or have we been brought to the point that only the gospel will make any sense to people who have, who have given themselves over to the destruction and rebellion of God's glorious truth? Sanctity of life, sanctity of sexuality, sanctity of gender, sanctity of marriage, sanctity of family. Is this God giving us over, Romans 1, or is he bringing a glorious awakening. I don't know, but I do know what we're called to do. Make disciples. Be faithful to his word. And be engaged in evangelism, enfolding, equipping. And the praise of our God that he would be exalted. And if he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. So here's your takeaway. Let me just give it to you. Our Lord has so designed his church that the stewardship of our God-given mission, message, and ministries are indispensably interdependent upon our personal stewardship of our God-given time, 
talents, and treasure. May we be found faithful. Let me just give you that other story. What's the key to being found faithful? Can I just share what I think it is? In the midst of all the confusion, discouragement, challenge, adversity, polarization. I believe the believer, the church stays on mission, on message, and in ministry if it's found faithful. And personal stewardship is time, talents, and treasure to be found faithful. will never be profitable, but could we be faithful? I believe the key is this. What's your fixed point? What is your fixed point? Is it economic, political, or is it Jesus? When I was in the third grade, I went to Chantilly Elementary School. Do you remember the teacher's pet? She had red hair, freckles, and pigtails, and she worked in the principal's office. At least every every elementary school I went to, that's where she was, and that's what she looked like. And she came to my class, and she said to the teacher, Ike Reader's dead is at the principal's office waiting for him. Well, I figured that was lethal. I'm, I'm done. Then I walked out of the class, and I'm walking beside her, and she turned, and she said, And, oh, your grandfather is there, too. I said, Whoa. Okay, that's a little, that's good news. If my granddaddy's there, there'll be a witness. So that's good. Maybe it'll be better. And then I get to the office and they say, come on, get in the car. So we go and get in the car. Don't tell me where we're going, but I see Clark Griffith Stadium, the home of the Charlotte Hornets, the double-A team for the Washington Senators. And I know, ah, there's an exhibition game here because the the parent team is on its way back to Washington for open day. And they always stop to play an exhibition game with another major league team. And I said, Dad, what's this? He said, yep, it's a game, son. The Senators are playing the Boston Red Sox. Now, I love the Washington Senators. Murder's Row, Harmon Killebrew, Jim Jim Lemon, uh, Rocky... Um, uh, Rocky Calavito, I man, I loved Murderer's Row, but I love the Red Sox more because of one man, the splendid splinter, greatest hitter of all time, Ted Williams. I, he threw right, batted left. I threw right, batted left. He was my hero, number nine, Boston Red Sox. That means I was going to get to see him play. He did not disappoint me that day. He went three for four. His last hit was a home run. I'll never forget that day at all. But here's what I really don't forget. And that is, we went around the turnstiles. We didn't even have to pay. My dad was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. My grandfather was with the Washington Senators. So we went around the turnstiles. I felt I was big stuff. We went down to the box seats where all the scouts were. I felt like I was big stuff. My granddaddy and daddy, everybody's talking to him, and they're introducing me. And then all of a sudden, my dad takes my left arm. My granddad takes my right arm. They picked me up, put me over the railing, and out over the onto the field, and I looked up, and granddaddy says, Ted, I want you to meet my grandson. And I shook hands with Ted Williams and did not wash that hand for 42 days. But I'll never forget what he said to me. Kid, (laughs) I love that. Kid, keep your eye on the ball all the time. That's what I'd say to you and me as a Christian, with all the stuff around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus if you want to be found 
faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments that we be together in your word. Uh, Father, I pray that as we take these moments to consecrate our commitment to you, you would bless your people. Bless them gloriously. Father, I pray for our elders and deacons. I pray for our staff and I pray for our membership that in the stewardship of our mission, our message and our four ministries, we would be found faithful. And I pray that we, by your grace, will be able to accomplish it as your people individually are found faithful, bringing their God-given time and talents and treasure to the glorious task of the mission and the message and the ministries. Then, God, would you please, 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 I beg you, visit us with a gospel awakening. Would you do it gloriously? Surprise us and fill us with the joy of salvation. May your churches be full of those who are found faithful to reach those faithfully who need you. So, Father, I'd ask that you bless your people. Would you take these few moments? Ben's going to sing a great song of stewardship. Just meditate on it. I know you brought your card or maybe you, you forgot it. You've got the other card. And then just as soon as this is over, I'm going to give you the benediction. And as you make your way out, you will be able to safely consecrate that as a gift on the way out. As your commitment to ask God, who is faithful to you, that you and I will be faithful to him. And as you consecrate it, pray that we as a church will be faithful on mission, on message, and in ministry. Not frightened by fears, nor, nor walk in the arrogance of self. Would you just pray that right now as you hold that card? You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.